by. Are we ready to get started? All right, let's open up with a word of prayer then. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this beautiful morning, and um, I ask that you would help us to focus this morning, Lord, that you would open our hearts to what you would have us to see, that you would help us to uh, gain insight in this critical area of false teachers, and um, that it would just be even a warning to us if we even see any of these trends in our own heart, Lord, that we would uh, grant us repentance and um, that we would be watchful stewards of your church. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I remember <clears throat> when I was a teenager, let's say like 17 or 18, and um, my first my first girlfriend was named Robin, and she got a job while we were dating at an old folks' home nearby, right? Helping take care of the rooms and take care of the patients. And um, up until that point in time, my experience with senior citizens had been my grandparents. Okay, so it was pretty godly people to the people of the church, and that was my spectrum. So I had this kind of image of older people in my mind. And um, when she would come home and tell some of the struggles that she would have at work, um, with some of the older patients there, some of the guys who um, would just basically turn into old perverts, right? And so without going into everything, but just she'd watch where she stood, where she walked, when she helped them, and uh, just uh, preparing herself for just going into certain rooms, knowing what she was going to face when she walked in there. And that was kind of a shock to me. I, I hadn't thought it through at that point in my life. Um, but when you have these sin conditions in your heart that you've been growing and unrepentant of, when you, reach, when you reach actually that age where they now no longer feel the pressures of society to even act properly, they kind of the, the um, there's no negative ramifications for them. All of a sudden, their heart started to come out in this kind of just really perverse way. And I think this morning, what we're going to learn about false teachers, we've last week David was speaking about the, the judgment that's coming to them. Um, we've talked a little bit. Of, Peter's already gone a little bit in some of their characteristics, but this morning we're really going to start going to their heart. And see what's been going on in there, and what's been, and why does wait? Why is God? Like our first week, we were asking, "Well, can they repent? Is there, is there a possibility of that?" And maybe when we were talking about judgment, it seemed a little harsh to you. But now we're, we're going to see their hearts and understand why are they destined for destruction? Why is there no turning back for these men? Um, our passage this morning is Second Peter, chapter two, ten b through sixteen. Second part of 10 through 16. Let's just read them together and then we'll start breaking it down. It says, Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they don't understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accursed rude. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrong wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal with speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So let's just look back at the first half of chapter ten, the very where um, David finished last week. Said so this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. So there he lays out for us here, the next, that's kind of him setting up where he's going to go. To talk about the, their, the corrupt desires of their heart, of their sinful nature, and the fact that they despise authority. So the first two here are defiling passion, and they despise authority. And says in typical, kind of, he uses this, tip, this fashion typically, he'll introduce where he's going to go, and then he does them in reverse order. So he says passion and authority, but we'll start out with authority. Presumptuous and self-willed. They respect no one, and nothing restrains them. They are insulting demons for some reason, which even the angels will not do. And we know that, we can read that from the verse when it says that, um, first you might say celestial beings, what is he talking about? But it says here that even the angels, when they're sent by God to judge these celestial beings, wouldn't do this. So from that we can then infer he's speaking about demons. 
So, and you'll see a lot of, as we have seen and will see, Jude and Second Peter have a lot of common themes. So let's take a look over at the book of Jude, and he, he, he's covering the same thing, talking about false teachers. Someone can read that, verses 8 through 10. But Michael, the archangel, when he disheveled and argued about the body of Moses, did not rebuke you. These men revile the things which they do not understand by instinct, like are destroyed. Right, so we see here um, that even um, the archangel Michael, this being of incredible power, will um, will not talk disrespectfully um, about demons. And here, um, we'll go through this a little bit too. But uh, the levels of authority here that people that, that Paul shows respect for in others, that he realizes that Satan was created at a higher authority than him, so he still respects that even as he's the Lord sending him against him. So even though he's coming from the Lord, you might feel like uh, these, some of these people who feel they're the Lord has sent them on mission. Maybe this is giving them the, um, the Lord is um, granting them their power and their authority, and so maybe that emboldens them to speak this way about demons. But even this archangel being sent by the Lord still has restraint. He still respects that authority, even though he's on a mission directly from God. Um, so let's take a look at a couple of these that will begin to set up some of these um, situations of authority. In Psalm chapter 8, Psalm chapter 8, <coughs> can someone read verse 5 for us when you get there? I'm sorry, but can you read 4 too, just so it makes it clear what we're talking about? So this is the beginning of where that respect should flow from, right? He's saying, as human beings, God's placed us under, underneath, for now, for now, has placed us underneath the authority of angels. So that, that, that respect uh, should always be uh, in our hearts. Think about how David, when we hear about Saul, we'll be learning more about this. I can't wait till we start getting into David. But how even as Saul is continuing to come against him, David always says, look, I refuse to raise my hand against God's anointed, right? He respects the authority that God's placed. So as humans, we should have that same respect. Um, for the angelic beings, since we've been placed, they've been placed over us in authority. Um, let's take a look at Daniel too. Daniel chapter ten. Then he said to me, "For from the pit you will understand." So here's David having a, 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 um, a dream, being explained, an angel speaking to him, and this angel saying, "Look, I was at this city, and this in, um, when it's talking about." Um, the prince of this Persian kingdom, he's speaking about a demon in that situation, that he couldn't do it, he couldn't send this message for 21 days because this demon was hindering him. Then at that point, the archangel Michael came and assisted him, and then he was able to come to Daniel. So just the, the idea of even these authority levels among, among the demons and, uh, and angels, to see that um, it's not... Um, just to show that they do have power and authority, kind of what I was trying to show here. But even the, the angels have certain levels that they have to respect and can't, and can't defeat. They need to call in greater help and that kind of thing. And I think Paul makes this even... In, in, so in Ephesians, he makes this even more clear. Right? This is where he, he clearly explains this. In Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at that. For we do not wrestle against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, like spiritual forces... Right, so here is Paul clearly saying, look, there are rulers, there are authorities, he's setting up different levels of authority among the angels, and talking about the demonic realm, that this is the same way, but he is not... Just understand the way he's talking about them, he's saying, this is our enemy, but there's nothing here disrespectful, he's actually saying, kind of setting up, look, these are, these are the rulers and the authorities that we're fighting against, so even Paul has this sense of the seriousness about what he's talking about, he's not treating this with, with a... Um, sense of disrespect and just um, obviously the false teachers are doing it in a much different fashion than this. So the next slide here says, Peter's words suggest that their error may result from ignorance. <clears throat> but this is not an excuse. Ignorance in the scriptures is often a willful refusal to understand the commands of God. It's a willful refusal to understand. And then I gave an example here of Ephesians chapter 4.18. This is up here on the screen, so you turn there. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. I'm trying to think now. It's coming to me now. I wish it had come to me while I was studying this. Remember the verse, maybe 
maybe we can remember the, the, the exact what I'm talking about, but just the whole idea that um, when you start walking into a pattern of sin, um, that you actually you begin to even forget the things you've already learned, right? Even what they have will be taken from them. That verse is escaping me, but the, the whole idea that um, when when your heart is darkened, when you're when you're in a progressive path of wickedness, you actually can have learned things at certain points of time and just begin to forget them, and it's like you never even knew them. Your heart grows so hard. It's kind of interesting. Hardening is, a, is that product which, like, God brought situations and circumstances to bear, mm. like, force a decision. And so every decision of his just happened to be tighter and tighter heart, you know, and it happens over a period yes, of time. Yes, sorry. Sorry. Even if that concept of Mark was saying, make a Roman to him. He is so great. Mm. But, yeah, is, is that hard? Mm. That's where some of you Yeah. This is where the great, the great grace, when God does grant us repentance in our hearts, that uh, when you feel the Holy Spirit moving, the, 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 you, know, you don't keep turning your back on that opportunity when you feel the Lord speaking to you about something. You don't harden your heart, because there's no guarantee that He continues to do that. He could say, all right, well, I'll give you a season of, if you're not going to listen, and, and continue in this. All right, so let's talk about how they were insulting. Okay? How were they insulting demons? What's, what is going on here? So, first thing we should acknowledge is that the text is not clear. Okay? So, I think there's, there are a couple of things we can infer and, and learn, maybe looking at our own present day, especially. Um, but just take that into consideration as we talk about this. Um, one of the things that came up in the study was that some think that the false teachers might have been scoffing at the idea that their sins could, pl- could place them under the influence or power of demons. Um, the idea that there are any ramifications to what they were doing, um, that they actually could become enslaved to the things that they were doing. Just a possibility. Nothing here that says that or doesn't, just thinking about it. Now this is a little bit um, more insight, I think. The second one is a little little, little bit stronger to me. There was also an unhealthy fascination with the spirit world and angels at this time, um, which might explain the conversation at least, right? We at least maybe understand why it was so prevalent, why was this coming up. Um, and we see the different teachers in Hebrews um, and other in Colossians directly speaking to this um, topic and some people just coming in an obsession with them. So let's look over at Colossians chapter 2. So we'll read um, verse 18 for us. Now let anyone who delights in false humility and the law fight you for the prize. Such a person goes into great what he has seen, unspiritual mind, puffs him up with idols. So here, here's already um, Paul talking about this is a common thing here, right? Don't, don't, don't let these people who worship angels at this point in time um, disqualify you. This is a common theme then. The understanding they had a very much greater awareness than we have now in our country of the spiritual realm but without God, without a clear understanding of what the spiritual realm was, that hunger inside them for something more led them to all kinds of folly. I think, in, um, especially as I've heard some of the teachings of um, Pastor Mark Driscoll from Seattle, some of the things he runs into in the Seattle area, um, but they're kind of, the culture there is a little more open to the New Age and the big, big idea of um, spirit guides and things like that and just kind of with meditation and certain spiritual aspects of yoga. <clears throat> And there he, he, in his church, in the one sermon he was talking about, he constantly is running into this, where people have been encouraged to meditate and begin opening their minds and um, ask questions and ask for a spirit being to talk to me, and a friendly being appears to them and begins to talk to them about things. And this is purely demonic. Um, and we'll see that a little later as the things are explained about how demons uh, appear in different ways. But then he'll have them come into the church and talking, and be like, you know what, my spirit guy is telling me that I really shouldn't come here to church anymore and hear about Jesus. He's got to sit down and talk to them and really have a... This happens frequently. There's some, some of that out in, I know, the Western... I mean, it's probably everywhere. I mean, right. somewhere it's probably... I, I met a woman who owns this angel crystal out in South Belgium. Oh, my. It was really everything that she... Right. So those, those, those hungers for something greater than ourselves, especially in the secular culture where... We have everything, science, and devoid of that. There's those hungers that grow in people, and if they don't have a clear understanding of Christ and God, they're open themselves to all, to all kinds of problems. So we can get that into more in the, in the bridging to today. But So also, think about Hebrews, right? Let's, think about, let's look at the beginning of Hebrews. We don't have to read these whole first two chapters, but we can just look through and see this whole 
um, uh, the introduction here in Hebrews is, is um, talking about angels, right? And saying how that Christ is superior to them. That's his whole argument. He'll go through all these verses and say, to what who has... Did, let's look at five. We just read a, a bit of chapter one. And then this, this theme, though, just continues as he's talking um, about how Jesus is greater than them. So in verse five, it says, For to which of the angels... All right, let's, let's, I'll start at three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. This is a great verse for you if you ever talk to somebody about Jesus, the God of Jesus, someone who thinks that Jesus wasn't God. This is a great one to underline and be ready for that. Also great for the Trinity and that kind of thing. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So it's clear, he's trying to let everyone know in this culture where they have this great esteem for angels, um, thinking about them all the time, the, the struggle of angels and demons in their, in their culture, and he's saying, look, we, we haven't come to talk to you about just angels, much more important, we're here to talk about Christ. For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And here's going through all these Old Testament scriptures where he's saying, this is talking about Jesus, this is talking about Jesus. These are not, and setting up that Jesus is superior to angels. So this is obviously something that the church at that time needed to hear. And then in the conclusion, in chapter 3, here's he's trying to sum it all up for them after there's a clear arguments about the superiority of Christ to angels. Therefore, holy brothers who share in this in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. So here's saying, don't don't spend all this time in your time focused on on the spiritual world and angels. Christ is who we're to focus on. Yeah, that's awesome. And he thinks though too. It comes out in different ways too, right? Like in the in the well, we'll say this. Okay, I keep getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about that in the first Thursday section. <laughs> but, okay, so the next one here. One of the Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, well, like I was just saying, like when these people, I guess, when they're like, talking about like, angels like this and they tell them this, kind of put in perspective. Like if you think about like an angel and when they've actually seen like God's glory and they've like, been they long man, blah blah. How would you ever think they would want to steal from that? God is or whatever. Like, here's someone from like you know bringing some type of recognition to God or that's who sent him and that's who calls him and everything. In my mind, it's like for like that. Just to build on that, I mean, Lashon's passages, that verse talks about how mm. that was the whole point, was that their, their fascination with creation between God mm. and, you know, that's what Hebrews ends up saying, God and man focused in that area. Mm. All this being worshiping the pleasure, so it's really at the heart of what you were saying, what was leading up to that, that there was us against them, that authority. Mm. Paul is saying that doesn't it? You know, it's not us. It's look at it. so the false teacher is going to continue to elevate mm. them and authority of their message, whatever level. So Paul is saying in your passage, you know, that he shared was not. It's mm. it's the content, which is, that is really at the heart of even gospels. Of that, you know, what what motivated those Pharisees and scribes? It was it was self. It was self authority. No different than just being. That's true. I think Mark, what you were saying yesterday, if you're taking the glory from God and you want it for yourself, then you're putting yourself in the position of God, then how can you not start disrespecting any other authority? You've placed yourself in the highest authority possible. It's on the pride. That's yeah. The root of it, right. And so the you know, this fascinant is, it's, it's a topic, it's a spiritual talk about that, and an mm. authority pride. And interested in faith of God and the Bible, just get off track. Mm. Just enough to miss the door. Yep. You know, walk right into the side panel. But miss, so he keeps people, oh, you know, you're doing something great. You know, you're worshiping angels, but you're missing Christ, mm. which is the door. Yeah, I'd say it allows people to, to, in some way, miss the offense of the gospel, too. If you're, you know what I mean? It just it becomes kind of unique and interesting, and oh, I'm into angels. It doesn't offend anybody. In our kind of a culture, I'm sure that's even more attractive. <coughs> um, yeah, so I think that's good. I think. Everything we said is very good and productive. It's just the idea that when we're talking about angels, and we, they're already they're always messengers of God. They're always in submission to God. Um, so to, to never elevate them beyond that. So what we're what we've been saying.
The false teachers act like irrational animals without restraint. They don't have the, even the restraint of angels and righteous men. They claim special knowledge, but blaspheme out of their ignorance. Like ignorant beasts who are slaves to their instincts. But that's our villain. Slaves to their instincts. And born to be slaughtered, they are destined for destruction. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6. So you're saying this is what the, this is what they're sowing, and eventually they will reap it. And last week David was covering that judgment that's coming, and then the uh, the NIV actually the, the the word used is destruction. From that nature will reap destruction. This is what's coming, and here this heart is beginning to come out. When they say they're beginning to act on their instincts, here's how we. This is the evidence of that. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. To carouse in broad daylight. So normally we think about the things that happen during the night in the cover of darkness. <clears throat> the shameful things that happens in that kind of time. But these men are now so brazen and uh, have, are so controlled now by their instincts and their d- sinful desires that they're doing it in broad daylight. I gave one example here Second Thessalonians. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. This is the general, this is the general tenor of the people. And even some of the study mentioned how the Roman culture, which was by no means godly, but even they, and even them as they as pagans, had this idea that if it happens at night, stays at night. They kind of were permissive about all the parties and the things, other wickedness would happen at night. But even they had the idea that during the day you uh, need to act with a certain amount of respectability and honor during the daytime. So these people were actually the false teachers were actually. The morality had sunk even below that of the Romans as far as their, what they did for their own, in their own personal lives. Blots and blemishes. And the verses continue. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. So just focusing on the first half of that. Blots and blemishes. And this is interesting because this, these words are the exact opposite. If we... Um, Look at in Second Peter chapter two. I should tell you where that was. Second Peter chapter two. Where we our, our passage for the morning. If you go just a little later, you'll see the words he uses here. And in Greek, these are the exact antonyms of what he's saying here. So three fourteen. Can someone read this for us? That's right. So he's encouraged them to be the exact opposite of the false teachers. These the Greek words are the exact opposite. Blots and blemishes. And here he's saying, um, it says spotless and blameless. He's saying, just you need to be the exact opposite of these men. They, they become the exact opposite of what I want you to be. And then in Ephesians 5, it's the same thing. Let's take a look at that. Ephesians 5. This is call for husbands. Can someone read that for us? 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, made himself up for her, might sanctify, having cleansed her, washing of water with the will that he might present the church without spot or wrinkle, that she might be holy and without blemish. So this is again, this is God's desire for husbands and the way they love their wives, that most precious of relationships. He's asking them again to, in every way, seek that she becomes the exact opposite of this. He's talking about without wrinkle, stain, or any other blemish, holy and blameless. Again, this exact opposite of what these men have become and are. Then let's look at the second half, see what was going on here. What does this mean when it says, while they feast with you? Reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. Feasting together might mean the love feasts. They would gather and have a meal before they had communion. Um, or even the, or it could mean, I mean, that's what we think it means. I'll show you why in Jude in second. Um, so it could be general feasting together as, as a community, but we think it's probably with a communal dinner when they're having communion. So um, they're saying even in this, even in that most sacred of moments, um, they're still, their hearts are still bent on evil. So let's look again at this parallel passage in Jude, verses 12 to 13 in Jude. Very eloquent writer, isn't Jude? 
Maybe when he gets to heaven, he's been writing more books on poetry. I'll be looking forward to reading them. <laughs> Very eloquent. But um, here again, you just talk about the same thing. They come to this same pattern of these false teachers. They're at your love feasts. They're at communion. Their thoughts are not on God or what Christ has done for them. Their thoughts are on themselves and their own desires. So that's where we say, okay, that, that's going on with these false teachers. This could very well be what Peter's talking about here as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of... Um, that's why I think it's so important that we take that pause before we take communion here at the church, right? That's kind of what that's all about, is making sure your heart's in the right place as we come before we have communion. My mind on this or that, or just really taking that moment of silence with the Lord. I've been reading this book um, what's the, by Swindoll this past couple of weeks about the, some uh, some of the disciplines to, have, to put into your life. And um, what's the name of the book, Mark? Do you remember? With the Four Disciplines? Intimacy with the Almighty. And one of the things that he's talking about is the importance of in your daily time, getting some solitude and some silence for yourself to just think about in that moment. So some, a lot of us will actually run from that and find that so difficult to even sit in silence for a little while and think and be asking God, is there any part of me that needs to be worked on? Lord, is there any part? Because we kind of know where he's going to go or we know where he might go. And that's the kind of idea of that moment in communion where we have that moment of silence. It's just like, Lord, we're about to come and celebrate Christ. Is there any part of me that I need... You'd ask forgiveness for before I take this cup. Can I come in a wor- come in a worthy make sure you're coming in a worthy manner? And these men are just exact opposite of that. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I'm. Yeah, I'm not getting. I see it flashing on there. Awesome. <laughs> the the subtle terror when your PowerPoint doesn't work for a second. I'm fine. I have everything right here, right? <laughs> When we were at this police chaplain's conference I told you about a few weeks ago, we had one teacher who came, and there were 90-minute sessions, and the first session that she did was like 45 minutes into it, her PowerPoints ran out, and she said, oh, no, I know I had more than this. Okay, well, does anyone have anything to talk about? Anything, like, any, let's, let's just discuss the topic and gave the open mic. And it's like, oh, man. So the next day we came again in her second teaching, and 15 minutes into the lecture, 15 minutes into a 90-minute lecture, oh, no, I, I know I had more than this. Well, does anyone have anything to say about this? And put the microphone. I was just like, "Oh, That's, that would not be good. Not be good." Second <laughs> Peter two fourteen, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. And here's our fill-in for the. This is a very interesting. The eyes of adultery literally translates eyes full of an adulteress, meaning they desire every woman they see, just absolute predators. And this is the. And this is, again, this, this idea of even those elderly men who have been living through this lust their whole life and were now not even ashamed of it anymore. And this idea that some of us maybe can relate to this. Lord, you know, at one point, th- thankfully maybe just one point in our lives, well, I'm not saying we ever are not sinful, but just during the teenage years and now you, with all the um, temptations of the young men, it's just un- unbelievable. But this idea of that at a certain time, I know I can relate at a certain time as a teenager that you know, that, that when we would go to singles groups as a kid, well, let's say that's, that's, old, that's older, but in youth group and singles groups, and then when I start to talk with some leaders and befriend the leaders, their idea of, like, they were shepherds, right? And they took that very seriously. When they would see new guys come into the group, they'd have talks with them, you know, like, we're, we're here to worship God, that's the focus. This is not like you coming in and just scanning the, what was going on here. This idea of your mind, not on things of God, you are bent on your own, um, on your own lusts. That's who these men were, seeing the daughters of God as their own objects, not in any way trying to lift them up. And of course the words of Christ in Matthew 5, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah, I remember having conversations with some guys too, and, just, and you see, and you hear this, there's the Navy where it's more like, like I said, like on the submarine where it's all guys, the kind of things that you have a little more freedom to, to speak foolishly because you're not, people aren't listening to you, w- women aren't there. But just the idea of when you hear some guys who are like, um, especially in the, in the popular culture, and they look at like a you know, from like Hugh Hefner, this symbol of the guy who ruins Playboy and has always in his bathrobe, and I just think of him as absolutely a man in ch- chains that <coughs> such deep chains. People who like admire him, and what you hear about this and that is like, oh no, no, brother, this guy is in bondage. He's an absolute slave. He's a man to be pitied. 
not a man to uh, admire. Continues, they seduce the unstable. They seduce the unstable. And we certainly hit this the first time that I was speaking as well. Right? This is a common theme that Peter is going through about how they are constantly trying to prey on those who don't have, uh, without, without a solid scriptural foundation. They're constantly seeking to prey on them. And one of this is one of the quotes from one of the books. And it actually echoes Jude, I guess, now that I think about it. Like trees with shallow roots, those without a biblical foundation are easily swayed and top, toppled. Let's take a look at verses 1-12. But this is the common theme throughout all Second Peter. His encouragement to be grounded in, in the knowledge of the Word. We've talked about that a couple times. Well, that's... So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I could have found a better one than that, I think. But again, he's just continually encouraging them to be grounded in the Word. How important that and vital that is to Peter throughout his both of his letters. This is kind of grounded. You know, we were in, in San Diego. We had this huge through there, and I was coaching. Chose not to have uh, practice that day because so we all met at this. All the guys like. Coming, they saw all these trees knocked down. And so, you know, great metaphor, good lesson that I talked about, which was it was the ones, mm-hmm. that, and they came up with that. You know, I don't think. But what are the outcomes of? How can you feel great? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really have to go ahead. It just makes me got little roots, but what are deep roots? And staying on a day and night mm-hmm. versus having shallow roots. Absolutely. Continue saying they are experts in greed. An accursed brood. And this greed is not merely uh, the greed for money, although that certainly is a part of it. It's just this idea of absolute hunger for pleasures. Now, this is very, very telling, too. Literally translates having a heart exercised in greed. Um, can, Mark, can you start for one second? In the library on um, MacArthur's commentaries? Can you grab me the. the um, Second Peter one? I'll keep going, but this quote is just so good. I put it back this morning without thinking. Thanks, brother. Um, so this whole idea of them, not only, it's not only are they not repenting, but they're feeding on their own um, sin and continually hardening their heart and hardening their heart and thinking, and I've heard other scriptures as well, um, and continually inventing new ways to commit evil. And so this is why their heart has been so utterly hardened. There's a certain part of your heart that when you decide you know what God desires for you in whatever area and you willfully decide I'm going to do it anyways, um, that your heart then begins to um, think of ways to, I'm sure you've been there or not, but ways to get what you want. Once you decide I'm going to get this thing, then your heart begins to invest in how am I going to do it and it becomes that all-consuming focus because... um, you're not going to be able to talk with God after that. Your hearts aren't going to be on godly things because you know there's this thing between you. Your mind's going to be revolving constantly around the sin that you've decided to do. And these men who are continually, daily doing this, this habit, comes this pattern where they have hearts exercised in greed. We'll come back to that quote in a minute. Any other thoughts on that? They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Azer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Alright, so here we go. I just want to read this quote. This is so awesome. Um, this is on the trained with wickedness. As we... The picture is a terrible one. The word which is used for trained is the word which is used for an athlete exercising and training himself for the games. These people have actually trained and equipped and taught their minds and hearts to concentrate on nothing but the forbidden desire. This is talking about the slavery. This is like uh, the Hugh Hefners, and not even just him. He's the crowning example, but they're slaves to this desire. They have deliberately fought with the conscience until they have destroyed it. They have deliberately wrestled with God until they have thrown God out of life. They have deliberately struggled with their inner feelings until they have strangled them. They have deliberately trained themselves to concentrate on the forbidden things. Their lives have been a dreadful battle to destroy virtue and to train themselves in the techniques of sin. 
That's by William Barclay. So this just shows that continuing... Yes? Regretted. Repented and yeah. stuff like that. And it's like, and then, like, that whole question of, like, all knowing kind of gets really into the context of it because he studied, like, everything like that. And a lot of kids, like, have a problem with it. And another point is, like, talking about the spiritual realm we've been talking about in the Old Testament and opposed to the New Testament because in the Old Testament it doesn't really talk about a lot about angels and demons until after the exile, post exile. Um, and then we're talking about, like, how, like, Satan doesn't really even come into play, like, even in the serpent and, and stuff like that. And, I was, like, even brought up, like, the king of Tyre, like, is that not referring to it? He doesn't think that's, ta- he's talking to Satan at all. He thinks he's just talking to the king of Tyre and his study what he knows. And so I'm just saying, like, there's all these things, like, this guy, like, he has his PhD, and he presses that on, on people because he knows exactly, because he, and they don't question him, and they don't, and, I'm, and I kind of sit here, I'm like, well, this isn't your word, like, who are you to have authority over everybody else just because you put in all this time and study and, and all that. And again, I don't know his heart, I don't, I think it's, I don't think it's in the wrong place, I was saying, like, who, who's to say that God can't use just some random person to know His word more, like, or more than you, because just because you're cool for it, which is a great thing, and I, and I think people should do that and whatever. But I'm just saying, like, for you to like limit what God can do with His own word, it's not yours. That's kind of what I see with like, I don't know if that's what you're saying. Kind of something I'm experiencing right now, and it kind of not like mm-hmm. frustrates me or angers me, but it's like, like I don't think like a piece of paper that we give one another or anything like that gives you any more authority or any more wisdom of God's word than, than if he decided, because it's all about what he what he does with it. It's not about what, like, I do with it, you know what I mean? And that's where I think, like, with false teachers, as you said, it's like, what they're doing with God's word and, like, how they're saying it and whatever. But it's like, he doesn't, he's the one that appoints people to those positions. Like, you, 
you don't appoint yourself to those positions just because you have a certain whatever, you know, like, and, and, and it's like for me personally too, like, I think, like, I like how I deal with God in life, when it comes to maybe even like, you know, I, I talk to <coughs> through sixth graders, mm-hmm. word, but like, I never wanted to, but it's like, somebody like, no, because like, like, it's like God put me into that position. I didn't say, hey, I want to teach to these third through sixth graders, because like, who am I to like, like put myself in that position is kind of what I'm kind of going with too. God puts me in that position. I've got to wait for Him and, and through people that are, you know, um, like affirmation through people who are like given authority by Him, mm-hmm. uh, not because they they took it themselves. And when, that's how I figured putting it like doing things in endeavor or, or like about His Word. And my job to know and study it, but like He puts you in those positions. Ultimately, it's, it's His work. Like who am I to lock His Word? No, I. I don't know. Sorry, that was really confusing. No, I don't think so at all. Go ahead. No, I'm with you. The whole test for eldership and that kind of thing. The yeah, Bible's very clear about it. Right, right. Yes. I mean, I don't think he was teaching. He was just teaching. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't all the way done. <laughs> but, but, but it is ignorance. That's what we yeah. talked about. Ignorance versus That's right. true ignorance. That's you know? very good. And so I think that's the common theme, right? Humility when we're teaching. And also the idea of all people. <clears throat> there is a certain thing where if someone's been studying, you show them the respect to consider what they've said. But that respect should be flowing from the teacher as well, saying the right. Spirit can quicken anyone's heart with a word. So anyone who questions what I'm saying, I should also show them that respect of listening to. Um, all right, so what are we pushing towards? 10.15, is that right? Okay. So considering the example of Baal, this is who he's alluding to and saying these men are like him. We remember in Numbers <coughs> where, the, um, where Balaam was being encouraged by a foreign king to ask him to come and curse the Israelites. And Balaam tried again and again. He, he was enticed by money and wanted to try to curse the Israelites, but again and again God would only give him blessings. Um, and then later we find out in uh, Revelation, I remember when I first read the story about Balaam, I thought, I had some compassion on him. I'm like, man, he's, he's trying to do this and that. He, he makes a mistake. And then, <clears throat> But in Revelation you see his heart becomes even more clear. Um, not only was he making mistakes and God foiled him, he didn't stop there, he didn't repent. In Revelation chapter 2, we get insight into his heart. Can someone read that for us? 2.14 But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, 
to sacrifice to idols and to commit. Yeah, so he was not satisfied. He tried to call direct curses on them, and when God didn't allow him to do that, he wasn't done. He said, All right, I still want that money, I still want that money. His heart still obsessed with it with the greed and whatever else was going on there. So he thought, Let me be more subtle, let me be more subtle. Let's see how we can entice these men to slowly to begin sinning and um, with the lust and the other, the other foods and things like that. So never satisfied. He found other roots. When God stopped him the first time from committing acts of evil, he thought, he thought to himself, how can I get there? I'm still on the, I still want. I still desire it. Let me find other paths to what I desire. All right, briefly today. Wisdom in dealing with spiritual beings. Angels are... We touched on some of this. Angels are created beings, creatures, who do God's bidding. Separating from them from the God of the Bible is impossible. Um, so this is all extremely important, especially in our culture now, depending on what level of friendships you have, what age, right? But the pop culture especially are growing up in this, like we said before, this culture of secularism, growing secularism, um, and yet they still have these spiritual hungers. So we see that fascination and pulling through, right, with the incredible popularity of like, um, look at all the storylines of the movies that are coming out now for their teenagers and how they are all have spiritual themes to them. Oh, many have spiritual themes. The incredible... Demonic. Yeah, demonic. So so the horror movies that are a huge thing, all trying to hit the PG-13 rating now with enough graphicness to draw the teenagers in, but not R. Um, so again, these guys have this hunger for things that are spiritual. And this is when you, as a believer, um, need to be able to come into that conversation um, with grace, but also truth, and, and talk about what's, what's really going on. Because this is the kind of conversations that revolve, right? That's the natural. You come back, or people seen a horror movie last night, they're like, do you believe in ghosts? How many times have you had that, when I was younger, had you had that conversation around a table? That's when you can start, really start talking about... That's the things they don't know, though. That's the other thing. Like, even friends who I know believe, like, in that stuff, that's, I won't, I'm like, you don't even mess with that stuff. That's something, like, way above you, like, you know what I mean? Like, and I won't even... Even when the commercials come out, I'm like... Very sad. Last night I was reading this thing on Facebook, a blog entry from growing up in Oak Park, which is where I grew up. And this man was talking specifically about a big old church that was in the middle of Oak Park being just a foundation of Christian Judeo beliefs way back when. But how it has become enlightened as it has opened itself up to, I can't remember all the words he used, but Eastern, you know, all of it. And, and now it is finally a re- true religious foundation as it's opened it. I was like... And it was a church that was a very mm-hmm. foundational when I was growing up, even yet, in Oak Park. But now it's truly found it's in the, all of these mysticism was one of the words, religion, and mixed with Christianity. I'm like, oh my, what a church. Anyway, just the false teachers have permeated that building, haven't they? Yeah. And this is where you have to come in as a voice of, of, of light. I think that one of the things Robbie Zacharias has brought out a few times is the idea that in the movies and now with art, they, have, they actually reverse reality, where in real life, the good that we see is beautiful and intriguing, and we hear stories, we want to hear more about it. Uh, but in, in the movies, the character who is evil is the, what's made as be interesting, and whereas the good is the boring. And the, uh, but when you see in real life the actual ramifications of these type of thought processes, and um, it's, just, it's so, it's, yeah. It's just so horrifying that um, it doesn't even deserve to be talked about. It's just the wickedness that can come from this kind of pursuing this type of things with the demonic. There are all kinds of spiritual beings, good and evil, to open oneself up to contact with angels apart from good or bad in, in your thinking. Uh, from commitment to God and Christ is to open oneself up to, uh, to the influence of these beings. We talked about that in um, like the prevalence of the New Age thought and the idea of just opening yourself up for, for spiritual advisors. And there's a force out there that wants to help you. Open yourself up to it. And it's just... It is purely demonic. And that comes out again and again with it when they're just talking, these advisors, and you can know it just purely from Scripture. Then they reveal themselves when they're telling these people who don't go to church, stop talking about Jesus. I mean, just unbelievable. Second Corinthians 11.14 uh, talks about, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So, this is what these demons are capable of doing. Uh, today, the unending pursuit of pleasure. God built within us this capacity to enjoy food, entertainment, making love, etc. The problem comes when the pleasure derived from these activities begins to take the place of God in your heart. Or when asking for any of those things, and this is again, this, this is taking the place of God, but when you decide to, when you know God's telling you no for a season in your life, and you say, I want this now, 
when you begin to disobey God to get these pleasures for whatever reason, that's when the hardening of the heart begins to take place. The real danger of bringing greed into the ministry, you certainly have all seen examples of that on the news and the... the um, go ahead. The prosperity gospels. Yeah. This prosperity. God wants you to be all and all this stuff and you see these pastors kind of advantage of their church and the people to make it themselves, to set themselves up as stable as possible. Yeah, I was thinking like of the pastor's own greed. I think your example is even better because that's... Um, that's right, that's, that's the passing it on to your congregation. And then when they things come up in their life or they realize the Christian life is hard and they grow disillusioned to walk away from the church, that's setting up, they're destroying the faith it's of their own. And it's almost like you're like you're feeding on their suffering. Too. It's like, talk about their saying that some people's like suffering and pain. To like yes. Not, like, all of <laughs> Right, like the states who feed on the poor with a lottery, right? Uh-huh. They take your dreams and the same uh-huh. thing these preachers are doing. Saying, give to God, because He'll give back to you. And then a certain percentage of that is going right into their... That's what marketing is all about. Like, uh, I'm in marketing right now, and I'm just like, kind of like... I'm not liking the major that much. Like, I'm like sitting there like, dude, we're just like finding ways to just like... Just bombard people like to their weaknesses and stuff. Just take advantage of them. It's terrible. Yeah, that's right. Just so we can make money off it. It's like, no, let's do something because it... No, that's right, man. Degree in coveting. What you got to do is like say... Oh, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. But the thing is, that's, that's when you got to find something that you actually believe in down the road, right? Because then you're not telling lies. You're telling the truth about why this thing is good. It's hard to like... But it's also hard to be like, you know, like... Because like, it's just like, it's all about making money and profit. It's like, it's hard to like separate that because it's like... It's your job. Like you're like you're looking at like you're trying to provide for you and feed for your family and do all this, but you're doing it in a way that's and you kinda like justify it and this is just really Yeah. Yeah. And Dale's face a couple times even in the last month, you know, where they're desperate to get this business foundational Uh. and they've had a couple twice in a row, like really freaky vibes and mysticism buy up from he wants them to do the you know, because he wouldn't you know a lot of gray areas, and, and mm. but there's obvious no <laughs> yep. in the business, too. Um, and the final part I had today was um, false teacher's proficiency at seducing the unstable. Just that common reminder throughout Peter of the need for the foundation in your own heart. And I'd say as we're talking about this with others and other young believers and teenagers, we we'll be getting caught up in some of these things you see in the culture. Um, to encourage them to grow in their stability. First, set them straight, but then and then try to instill in them this, the same thing that Peter is trying to instill in the church. The idea of, this is why it's so important to be grounded in your understanding and help them come along so they're not susceptible. That's it. We close. Anything else to say before we close? Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for this morning. Thank you for all that we've been talking and thinking about and these just the insight that Peter gives into the heart of, of these men who seek to destroy the church. As, he, as, as has been brought up many times here, we, we see some of these own sinful t- tendencies in our own hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would be focused on um, some, of the, some of the ideas brought up this morning of humbleness in our hearts when it comes to the Word, respect for each other in the Word, a great desire to be grounded and Lord, to always be sure that the glory is going to you, that we're not seeking to wrestle it away or put some other desire in our heart. Even if it's a, a something that you've brought in this world for good, but if you've told us no for a time, Lord, that we would listen and just keep you on the throne in our hearts and um, never try to take that from you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.